Hey there, and thanks for joining us for this episode. We're really looking forward to sharing this part of a conversation that Brian had with Dan Hayfley. Brian and Dan aren't going to agree on everything, but Dan gives a really reasonable approach to why he uses the King James Bible. And so we're circling back to that conversation. Now, this is only part of their conversation. We'll be releasing it in a series of episodes in coming weeks. However, if you want to go ahead and get early access to the full conversation and not have to wait for the next part, you can head over to briansams.com and sign up for early access to content there. It's completely free. Just give us your email and we will send you a link to the full conversation. So again, head over to briansams.com and access the full conversation today. Well, we are so glad that you have joined us for this episode as we continue to advance a reformation of fellowship, partnership, and gospel hope amongst Bible-believing pastors and churches. This is Church Advance with Brian Sams. Welcome to the Church Advance Podcast. This is Brian Sams, your host today. I'm excited to be joined by my new friend, Dan Hayfley. Dan, welcome to the Church Advance Podcast. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, man. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Cannot wait to get to our content. Before we do that, let me, if you don't mind, have you just uh, introduce yourself, your family, and your church and tell us a little bit about you. Hey, thanks, man. I, I grew up in, uh, in an independent Baptist preacher's home. Uh, my, my dad was a King James guy, you know, and, uh, independent, I mean, IFB, uh, without the Baptist name, believe it or not, it was a Bible church, believe it or not. And, uh, so we were always on the outs <laughs> kind of thing. Then 1994, um, he, uh, he passed away and I had been on staff with him for about 10 years and the church asked if I would take the church over. So I told them I would for two years and I ended up 16 years staying with them. So uh, then my family and I left and we went on the road for a while. I have three children, Ryan, uh, Zach and Katie, my wife, Elizabeth. And uh, we went on the road and uh, for about a year and a half, we're 90 different churches across the country, enjoyed that immensely. And God called us in after that uh, to Mattoon, Illinois. is a long series of, you know, you know how those things go. Uh, Cliff's Notes version here. And uh, my kids then finished growing up here in Mattoon. We um, pastored Maranatha Baptist Church. We took over. In April, um, Easter Sunday of 2012, we've been here uh, since then, enjoyed it a lot. The Lord's prospered the ministry. It was 16 people when we came, and now the church has grown, and we're excited about having a Christian school and, and so on now. So my kids are all working with me here at the church now. They've grown up and married, and I got a new grandbaby. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's the most important part, obviously. All right. <laughs> She's that's cool, Dan. <laughs> so... Um, so your um, your church is Maranatha Baptist Mattoon, Illinois, and of course we we made a connection. Tell me, really, actually, first in your in your traveling for a year and a half, what kind were you doing? Revival meetings or these special conferences? So my kids and I all play instruments, play guitars and things. And so uh, what I did was I wanted to I had always wanted to be in evangelism when I was a kid, and that's in fact that's what I was going to do. My dad passed away, then we kind of the Lord changed my direction for a while. I'm like, Finally, I'm like, after 16 years of pastoring, I'm like, I'm going to go do what I wanted to do. And so we got to do that. And I traveled and preached in churches all across the country. And uh, while it was a great experience, my family, we got to travel and they got to see a lot of the country. It was just wonderful. We homeschooled the kids at the time. So 
Oh, that's neat. I did that for a number of years too. So that's really cool to share that in common. Hey, so uh, first of all, I want to, I want to introduce our topic and then I'm going to kind of back into really just kind of how we met and what we're going to talk about today. And so here I'm going to introduce the topic. Obviously, uh, many of you watching you, you're, you're listening to this or watching this because you were intrigued by the topic. So the topic we're going to discuss today is a reasonable approach to an updated King James version. Now, Dan, obviously, you know me, I'm kind of have become a little bit of a lightning rod uh, in the King James version of the Bible world. Uh, And I'm not going to rehash any of that. It's not super relevant, but this podcast will release sometime in the summer of 2023 in the spring, actually winter of 2023. I became the uh, target of many uh, social media conference subjects uh, over some podcasts I'd released previously, and to no surprise by many that know me, uh, I have gone through a um, transformation of being open to modern translations of the Bible, which has caused me enormous grief. Uh, My first encounter with you was after, of course, right in the middle, really, of receiving a lot of negative feedback, both personally and directly, and then just kind of out there. I got a, I think it was a Facebook message was the first one. I got a Facebook message from you, uh, maybe even to our church. It just said, I'd like to speak to Pastor Sam's about the translation transition. And I got the message and I clicked on your profile and I was like, oh no. And so I wrote you back. You may remember this. I wrote you back and I said, hey, Dan, look, man, I'm not really interested, you know, in a debate. It's kind of where I am. So let me explain why I responded like that. And, and, And by the way, I'm so glad you reached out because I feel like we've, created a friendship now uh, in, in a topic that we don't see exactly eye to eye on, which is why I got you here. But when I clicked on your profile, I noticed that you were a part of a group called the King James Bible Research Council. Sure. And I, I, I had not heard of it, although I know two of the men on it fairly personally. One is David Sorensen, who used to come to West Coast Baptist College a lot when I was there. And then, um, uh, uh, oh, uh, last name King, Pastor King, Randy King, Randy King. Now, Randy and I go way back. We've been on a mission trip together. He's been to our church. Um, but, and, and, and to be fair to Randy, before I changed translation, so I'm not sure that he would do that again. But uh, Randy's been a friend and, a, and, and a, somebody I appreciate. So I saw that. And my concern, of course, was, man, I really don't have time to discuss another, you know, issue related King James. People know where I stand. However, uh, you know, Dan, I appreciate you following up with me and said, hey, Brian, this is probably not what you think. And I, I really would appreciate some time. So from there, I don't know, Dan, we probably had um, three or four phone calls, you know, maybe totaling in a couple of hours of just talk that I've really appreciated. And so I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to start here with the King James Bible Research Council. Just tell us a little bit about what it actually is and and why you're a part of it. Well, okay, so so sure enough, um, so uh, a lot of the King the King James Bible Research Council actually came out of the Dean Burgon Society. Are you familiar with them? Yes, so sir. There were several people involved in that, and and they're kind of what you might say. Uh, their focus was the TR. They're really, you know, really interested in the Texas received text, you know, the Texas Receptus. And so uh, some of the 
because of some philosophical differences of viewpoints and so on, some of those um, folks, and I don't have all of that information, so I can't really speak to exactly why, but some of them broke off and they said, let's form the King James Bible Research Council. Well, I was invited to that uh, by Dr. Phil Stringer, and I went and um, I, it became a part of that, that, what you would call the flagship moment when we established it. And we worked through what we were trying to do. And the goal of the King James Bible Research Council really is to bring some academic um, excellence to the conversation. Because as you know, there is some insanity out there. There's some, I mean, and to be fair, there are some people that have a complete different view than I do that I would say are very well educated and very, you know, uh, there, there are guys that, that are in the, what I would say, secondary inspiration camp that are, that are very academic and brilliant people. And so I'm not casting, you know, any, any um, shadow on their, their intelligence or, or um, learning. But our King James guys, all of us, all of us on this research council, we have conflicts. We fight within ourselves. We're good Baptists, but uh, we, we argue and debate, and that's part of the the joy of it. Um, I had a conversation before this last meeting we had with some of the guys, and I said, you know, look, we need to be careful with you know yada yada yada, and. And one of the founding members said to me, look, we don't tell any of you guys what to speak or how to speak or what your position is. You know, we're here, this is research. You know, we're, we're, we're just letting, letting the truth take us where it takes us, you know, kind of thing. Mm. And um, that's really the attitude of the King James Bible Research Council. And it's done a lot of good as far as establishing um, where we're at. I know, honestly, most of it, it, it we are all uh, TR, for the most part, there's some guys that are a little closer to the secondary inspiration. They wouldn't articulate in that way, but um, that's not my position. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you when I was ordained, uh, there was a couple of followers of Ruckman that were on my ordination council. My dad was the MC of it, and they got into a two-hour fight over my answer about the King James, because I believe that the King James is an accurate translation and it preserves the word of God properly. But I personally, this is my position. This is not a position of, I can't, I can't say, I can't speak for anyone else. Okay. This is me. I believe that God promised to preserve his word. And I believe the preservation of his word was in heaven and that he communicates it generationally, one generation to another. Sometimes the scriptures have been hidden as in the case with Ezra, and I know that's a that's a deeper conversation, but um, I believe I don't believe translation is a big problem to God as it is to us. I mean, Acts Acts two, um, he, he translated the gospel into seventeen languages instantaneously. He didn't have a problem with it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. So those are those are some of the the thoughts that I have. Well, I do think. I mean, I think I I think it's important, Dan. I think I think in a talk I did almost two years, oh, over two years ago now. I would when I shared with our church that we were going to use a modern translation. I did a two-part sermon series after lots of meetings with different people in my church. One of the sermons was entitled "The Seven, the Seven Wonders of the Word," and you know, inspiration, 
Yeah, sure. I went down through, you know, seven. And the last two were preservation and translation. And I think it's an important distinction. I think you've made some very careful statements, but I think everybody needs to know just just as, just to put an emphasis on it. There's a difference between the two words. The two words don't mean exactly the same thing. That's correct. Uh, and and so you and and in fact, I, I pulled the um, the uh, purpose statement from the King James. I want to read it and then I want to ask you a question. Sure. The King the King James Bible Research Council is dedicated to promoting the King James Bible and other traditional texts around the world. And I would assume you mean uh, translations, other translations. Uh, yeah. Uh, we believe the King James preserves by accurate translation the inerrancy of the Greek received text and the Hebrew Aramaic Masoretic text. So, so, so the statement is the King James preserves the accuracy of the original text. And of course, we all know that in your with your group, um, the 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 preserved text, the, the the accurate text would be the two that you stated there. So I want to ask you a question just so just for clarity so my audience can understand that we're all well, at least on the same page here. So it, it your priority really is twofold. It's an accurate Bible in English and a preserved inerrant original text. And so you would you would I and you've already said it, you you're definitely not a Ruckman organization that that sees certain strands of Ruckman, if I'm not mistaken, they would say that when God gave the King James, it basically was was the Bible given, and therefore even the original manuscripts are essentially irrelevant, right? I mean, they don't they don't correct the they don't correct yeah, the there James. are some there are some followers of Ruckman's teaching that would say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean in extreme certainly in extreme cases. So but but for clarity, let me ask you this question. I think this really this this helps us clarify it. If you were going to translate a Bible into a language for somebody who does not have a Bible, mm -hmm. and let and let's assume they already have like written language, like right. we don't have to go there. But so assuming they have written language and no Bible, um, what would you do? What would be your process? Mm -hmm. Man, we could spend the whole podcast on this. This is one of my favorite, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite topics. So, so um, truthfully, um, oh wow! Uh, so, uh, I believe the King James Bible is a great. Would be, I think, anybody that would exclude the King James Bible from the conversation at this point would be foolish because they did it so well from one language to another. When you translate from one language to another, there's a lot of nuances that are hard to capture. The King James translators caught a lot of them, and amazingly so. Now, the funny thing is, and this is something not talked about much that, that I found in my research, um, there are, uh, so, so you, are you familiar with Enzinus? I don't think so. Okay, so are you familiar with the Reign of Valera Spanish Bible? Yes. Okay, so yes. the Reign of Valera Bible was, is a large percentage of it came from the Enzinus, who was the first one to translate from the originals into the Spanish language, okay? So um, the Enzinus was the original text, kind of, you might say, and then became the Reign of Valera. Uh, and then, you know, there's been other translations since that based on, based on Enzinus' work. Uh, Zenus, I believe, was actually, you know, killed for, for his translation work into the Spanish. Predates, in Zenus, predates the 1611, okay? Mm -hmm. um, you could say he is like the Spanish versions Tyndale, 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So the King James is like 86% in some cases matches Tyndale. Okay. What's interesting is while Enzinus was translating the Bible into Spanish, he was living with Melanchthon. Who do you know who that is? Are you, are you familiar with Luther's translation into German? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Luther translated the Bible into German and Melanchthon was his understudy. Melanchthon wrote the Loki communes, which is all of the doctrinal statements. Basically it's our basis for systematic theology. And he was Luther's understudy Melanchthon. He's a guy you'd be fascinated to study, but so, so Enzinus was living with Melanchthon while Enzinus was translating into the Spanish, Melanchthon was helping Luther translate into the German, and they had a visitor from England named Tyndale who came and visited them, and they collaborated. So what you're going to find, you're going to find in the King James Bible, based from Tyndale, you're going to find some German-type language. You're going to find some Spanish-type language, and vice versa. You're going to find phrase, phraseology that's not Greek in the King James Bible. It's more, more Spanish or Latin or because, wow. because they had collaborated. And there were literally multiple, you know, the Coptic language or multiple translations across the world that were based on the original. And, and, and the, whole, the whole Greek text with Erasmus, I mean, Erasmus is, and this is my own, this is me now, okay, this isn't unofficial, everything I'm saying here is not an official position of anybody but me. <laughs> yeah, okay. My own, my own research. But what I found is that, um, wow, uh, Erasmus's text, uh, it was a compilation, really, it was a Greek compilation. It wasn't, they say, well, the originals, well, there wasn't, I mean, the originals were all letters and things in multiple languages, and Erasmus compiled those into one Greek text. If we go back to Erasmus's, he called, they called it, they began calling it the Textus Receptus. He didn't call it that, but they began calling it because it had come through multiple languages. Mm -hmm. So, so the short, the, the, to, to put a bow on this, your question, um, if I were to translate and I have been involved in multiple translations as a, as a consultant, um, I would use everything at my disposal uh, from every language that is out there. Now, in the Hebrew, I think I would stick with the Masoretic text um, completely because that's the one the Jews have passed down to us. I would stay away from Kittle's text. I don't know if you've seen anything I've written on that, but Kittle was, uh, Rudolph and Gerard were both... Um, worked with Hitler and they put guy he's the same guy wrote Kittle's theological dictionary is that one of them, yes uh, I think Gerard was the son one the Rudolph was the dad I have the Rudolph's um commentary set very very academic critical thinker but he was German and he helped Hitler uh, define his theology against the Jews and oh, wow. uh, Gerard actually who is the one that wrote the dictionary he he spent time in prison at the end of World War II for Nazi war crimes so his stuff, when I see his stuff creep into some of the new versions, it causes me pause because there's anti-Semitism underlying it. And so I don't believe that. I don't believe that's one of the reasons I don't use the new versions is because of some of that anti-Semitism that creeps in. OK, so let me let me just for clarity, because I love where you're going. I love what you're saying. Just I, I'm I'm such a simple person. OK, um, you would say and let me see if I can summarize it, because I think we're on, I think we're getting there you would translate 
I mean, the source material where you would actually go to to find the word would be your preferred Hebrew and Greek manuscripts, but you would consult with obviously other translations, other language tools, because that's essentially what other translators have done. Right. But your sort, but the source material as far as where you're going word this word into this word is going to be Hebrew uh, or or Greek or whatever into the, the said language. Right. And, 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 and uh, just to, to follow this just a little bit. So there's things that I, I'm like, I wish they'd have done it different in English. I've seen no translation that's done some things that I, in English that I, that, oh, for example, the word church. Okay. The, uh, in the Spanish Bible, they use the word iglesia, which is, you know, a transliteration of ecclesia. I wish they'd have done that in English because the word church is actually a dynamic equivalent that it, that is referring to um, actually a pagan, um, whoops, uh, uh, a pagan circle. And it comes through the German and Anglo-Saxon a combination of that. I think the word Kirk, um, Kirsch, different words um, is fascinating to see. And, uh, the, and King James, actually, one of his rules was they had to use the word church. And I think it was to identify what he was doing a little bit with, you know, the congregation. Tyndale translated it congregation, which I don't think was a really good, because there wasn't what, there wasn't really a word in our language that defined it. We're going to pick up the next part of the conversation in the next episode. But again, if you want to get early access to the full conversation, you can get that for free at briansams.com. Just simply go over to briansams.com, give us your email address, and we will send you the rest of this conversation completely free. And do make sure that you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, that you're following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you may listen to podcasts. This podcast is hosted by Brian Sams. It's co-hosted and produced by myself, Luke Clayton, and the team at mustincrease.com. We thank you again for joining us and look forward to seeing you next time as we continue to advance a reformation of fellowship, partnership, and gospel hope amongst Bible-believing pastors and churches right here on Church Advance with Brian Sams. Mm-hmm.